All right, it's good to see you today. If the ushers will come forward to receive the offering, I'll go over some of the announcements that we have on this long list of announcements. Tomorrow, the Singles Ministry is having their second annual Labor Day barbecue and pool party. So that's at 2 o'clock tomorrow. There are flyers in the foyer, and you're welcome. Even if you're not single, but you just feel like a barbecue and pool party, go ahead and crash the party. Uh, that's tomorrow. The wake-up call is a men's uh, thing that's going to start this Tuesday over at the Corner Bakery. Any of you men are welcome to come by between 7 and 7.45, the Corner Bakery down there on La Paz, and uh, just to have a time to start the day out in the Word and prayer and fellowship, so come on down this Tuesday. Our regular men's ministry on Saturday, we'll meet this Saturday at uh, 8 o'clock up in the Fellowship Hall. If you signed up for the angel game that we're going to this Saturday, remember that. The night, there won't be a couples fellowship that night because of the baseball ministry, praying for the angels to somehow dig themselves out of this hole that they've found themselves in. And so we'll have some time. We'll meet at 5 o'clock if you're going to the angel game, if you've signed up for it already. We're going to meet out under that big A out in the parking lot. A for Angelus, as in Los Angeles Angels. And uh, <laughs> now we're going to meet out there for a little, uh, you know, just a tailgate party kind of a thing, get together before we go in and enjoy the uh, Angel game. And we'll be praying against the other teams in the American League West, especially Oakland. And uh, <laughs> so that's this Saturday. Just remember that. Married couples ministry coming up the end of the month. You need to get your final payment in by next Sunday, and we're looking forward to that time. Uh, starting Friday, September 15th, our street witnessing ministry, GTO, and GO will be starting up again. If you'd like some training or you just want to go out and share your faith, there's information out in the foyer. You can see RJ for that. Also, Saturday, September 16th, we're having a, just a basic Christian counseling class. Um, it's not for people who want to become professional counselors, but it's just for those of us who find ourselves in circumstances where we're trying to be a good friend and help someone out and encourage them, and we don't always know what to say. And so we've been talking about this for a while. Uh, Kenny and I are just going to take a bit of time on that Saturday morning, This I think it was the 16th, and um, from 9 to noon up in the fellowship hall to just talk about some real basic how to share with people who need to be encouraged and scriptures to share with people when they're going through a hard time and just so that you don't feel completely not knowing what to say to people. And so I'd encourage you to come on out for that. Let's see, we have a church cleanup day scheduled for Saturday, September 23rd, as we're getting ready to move over to our other building here pretty quick. We're going to have a day when we go through and, and decide what to keep and what to get rid of and what to give away. So come on out and help clean up on that day. Also on Sunday, September 17th, there's a going away luncheon for Kimberly, who's our missionary, Kimberly Wagner, who's our missionary um, with Campus Crusade, does things all over the world. She's going to be moving to Florida, so in a couple Sundays, we're going to have a special luncheon for her over at the Baileys, and um, uh, we want to give her a good send-off. She's also taking a, a missions trip to Africa, so if you've been praying about an opportunity like that, they leave October 30th, and 
You know, nothing like spending Halloween in Africa. And so um, they're going over to show the Jesus film to people who've never heard the gospel, and that's an exciting opportunity. There are flyers in the foyer for that. Remember, Saturday, September 23rd is the Women's Conference down in Mexico and Tijuana. And so if you'd like to help with that, they could use men or women to help with that outreach. And remember, the church office will be closed tomorrow for Labor Day. And one more announcement, Anne is going to come up and just share about the women's ministry because that'll be starting up the end of this month, and, and she wants to let you know about that. Anne? And she'll go keep to um, Bob's microphone because there isn't one here, and I don't want her too close to me. Okay. <laughs> you want to talk like that? I don't know if it works. Go ahead, Nancy. Oh, wait. Is that plugged? Yeah, go. Hi. <laughs> um, the Women's Ministry for Evening is starting up the 26th of September, and we're really excited. We're doing uh, Elizabeth George, Fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the most practical books uh, on the fruits of the Spirit and w walking that walk, and I've done it myself, and I'm so excited about it. So I would like to encourage you ladies to come out. We're having sign-ups just now starting for the women's study and continuing sign-ups for the daytime study. The women's study will start at 7.15 on Tuesdays, and then the Friday study will start, I believe, at 9 o'clock. So we're looking forward to it. It's an awesome time. Get to meet some neat people and really grow close and get plugged in. So, thank you. <laughs> All right, there's a little time left for church, so uh, let's try. <laughs> it's not Anne's fault. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 6. We're just about to finish up the book of Galatians. We'll finish it up, Lord willing, next Sunday, and it's just coming to a close. I'm praying about what to study next. Well, right now, if, if today was two Sundays from now, I think we would go into the book of Philippians, but I'm going to reserve pastor's prerogative to change my mind if, uh, if I decide to go a different direction. But right now, focusing our attention on the book of Galatians and where we pick up here is beginning with verse 11 of chapter 6. As we've studied the book of Galatians for the last several months, we've seen that the central problem that Paul was addressing in Galatians was that there were people who, you know, the Galatians were mostly Gentiles who came to Jesus, and there were Judaizers or legalists who were trying to tell the Christians that it's not enough to just accept Jesus, you also need to follow the rules of Judaism. You need to mix a little religion in with your faith, and so admonishing them to, you know, of course, some of the bad news for the guys was you need to get circumcised. And there were all sorts of other things that they were telling them that need to go along with being a Christian. And Paul wrote the book of Galatians. Now, certainly Paul describes himself as a Hebrew of the Hebrews. No one was more Jewish than Paul was. And yet, he wrote the book of Galatians to say, no, the gospel, the good news is Jesus did everything that needs to be done. You just let him do what he wants to do in you, and that's what Christianity is. It's allowing that relationship with God to form, whereby in the Spirit, God begins to grow in you those fruits of the Spirit, that life that's centered on the Spirit. It's something that happens supernaturally, naturally, 
as God just grows within you all that he wants to do. The option to that is religion. Every religion is just man setting up a bunch of rules to make you feel guilty enough that hopefully you'll live a halfway decent life. Christianity is different than that. It's a relationship whereby God works in you to help you to live the life that he wants you to live. And it's not about outward conformity to human standards and rules and regulations. And that's good news because obviously there hasn't been a religion ever designed that man can actually do it. You hear the rules and you break the rules. That's what the law was designed to teach us. And so Paul, in unfolding what it means to have a relationship that's not a religion, now he's wrapping up his argument to the Galatians. He's, he's putting the final nail in the coffin to this notion that it's all about trying to be good. It's all about being Jewish enough. It's taking a relationship and adding Judaism to it. And he's going, that's not what it's about. And so here, beginning with verse 11... He says, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Now, Paul generally, he had a problem with his eyes. His eyes were constantly oozing and dripping, and as a result, life was difficult for him. He may have got the eye problem because he was stoned several times, beaten many other times, and that takes its toll on you. But we know that Paul generally, the letters that he wrote, he dictated them and had a, had a scribe called an emanuensis who would actually write down what he was saying for his letters. He would just dictate them. But here at this point, we're coming to the close of the book of Galatians, and Paul says to his scribe, give me that parchment. Give me the pen. I want to write this part myself. And so probably the rest of the book of Galatians, Paul actually penned it. And he says, look at these big letters. That's the way I have to write because I don't see very well. And these big clumsy letters that say, Guys, I mean this. This is for real. I want you to get this. I want you to know that this is coming from me. I'm writing it with my own hand. And what he writes next is his description of religious people. It's his analysis of what these guys were really all about and why it was that they were religious. And he paints a picture for us of really the problem with religion. And there are basically, we'll look at three basic points in here. And the points will go, the, the first one, well, the first one starts with C, and the second one starts with H, and the third one starts with P. So you can remember them, CHP, those people you're afraid of when you're on the freeway. And if we have an outline, it's CHP and then a big cross in front of it, because he finally contrasts. Here's the cross of Christ compared to the CHP of religion. And so as we begin in verse 12, he says, As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. So you're guessing, is the C compel? Is it circumcision? No, we look at the motive of these guys who were teaching this, and the C, the first point of our outline, is compromise. See, and at first you wonder, what does this mean? You know, they compel you to be circumcised because they want to make a good showing so that they may not suffer persecution. Well, 
for the Jews in those days, the Jewish people were still kind of running things in the area of Israel. The, the Romans kind of encouraged them at this point in their Judaism, and the Jews had a lot of influence governmentally, politically. And when Christianity came along, you would think, why would the Jews be so bugged at the Christians? Because they're following Jesus, and Jesus was a Jew. Jesus went into the synagogues regularly, and he went through the rituals and rites of Judaism. So what's the big threat? But the threat is Jesus was saying, I am fulfilling everything that you've needed to do. You don't need sacrifice because I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that rocked the world of the Jews because someone was coming and saying, I'm the next step. Well, as a result, the Jews persecuted Christians because Christians were a threat to them. You remember Paul, before he was a Christian, he had official government documents that said, go ahead and persecute Christians. Throw them in jail, kill them if you want to. You have our stamp of approval. Do whatever you want to these Christians because they're a threat to us as Jews. So now we have these Jewish Christians who are trying to get everybody to become Jewish Christians, even if they're not Jews. And Paul said, the problem with these guys is They're doing this just to get the Jews off their backs. If if they can convince the Jews that Christianity is, hey, it's just like Judaism, just another flavor, then they're not going to be persecuted or hassled. The problem is Christianity is a radical departure and a huge difference from Judaism. And so this compromise, in order to protect your own comfort, was one of the reasons why they were trying to push Gentiles into becoming, well, acting like Jews. Because if Christianity looked enough like Judaism, maybe nobody would be bothering them or hassling them. And there probably haven't, you probably haven't been confronted by too many people who are telling you you need to act more Jewish. Hey, here, put on a yarmulke or, you know, perform this ritual. There are people who would do that. And it's kind of funny when you have Gentiles who think they're Jewish. But in reality, this is really a much broader problem than just with, with Jews trying to make you act Jewish so Jews will like you. There's certainly that going on, no doubt about it. But really, compromise is a challenge to the reality of a relationship with God in so many different ways. And it's funny because when I think of compromising the truth of the gospel in order to make it more palatable to people, there's a compromise that goes to either extreme of the spectrum. The truth of the cross, it finds itself in the middle. There's a balance. Let me explain what I mean by that. There are some people today who are pushing you to be religious, and anything that doesn't conform to their standards, they want to brand you as being wrong. And we all know there are certain things, certain compromises that we do sometimes because, well, I know it's going to upset someone. I'm faced with this every time I get up and talk to people. Because I know from a backlog of years of complaints, there are certain things that are just offensive to people. Now, some people think I get up here and intentionally offend people. I really don't. It just happens. I mean, this is me being careful, you know, what you see. But, you know, there are certain things that, well, Christians just shouldn't say or Christians just shouldn't do. 
And these religious people who want to make sure that you toe a line, you better not say something that rocks the boat a little bit for them. Oh, there are some political areas that people will get concerned about. If you don't sound conservative enough, boy, you're going to hear about it. There are other things that just involve silly little things like, for instance, anytime I know that if I quote some secular rock song as an illustration, oh man, I'm going to hear about it from somebody. You know, do you understand that what these guys really say, and here's what they said in this interview in 1963, and if you play the song backwards, it means this, and it's like, you know what, it's almost not worth using certain sources because I know I'm going to pay for it. Or it's like taking a good, a great illustration. There are so many of them in, say, The Simpsons on TV. But there are people who, I, I, they just think, Simpsons, you know, that's so awful. It's a horrible show and everything. And, and it is. I only watch it in order to see how horrible it really is. But, uh, <laughs> so don't call. But it's like, okay, there's some great Great illustration, but oh boy, it's going to offend some people who want me to toe the line. And so here, what I, what I so often am forced to do is let's just present a nice, clean, neat little presentation that won't offend anyone. And let's make sure we don't use words or make references to things that are offensive to people because, hey, I don't want to offend religious people. Well, Jesus had no problem with offending religious people. I think he was very careful not to mess up people who didn't know God, but those people who saw themselves as leaders, those Pharisees, Jesus seemed to love to make them upset. He seemed to love to get them mad. He rocked their world because they needed that. And yet so often we feel like, oh, we need to compromise. You know, if, if you ever, you know, put a quarter in a slot machine, oh, you can't tell people that, so change the story. So it was I put a quarter in a video game, and, you know, that's so much better, so much more palatable. And, you know, or there are a hundred different ways in which we try to appear religious, not for anything that's really true or righteous. It's just because, well, I don't want to offend people. And that's a half of the error of Christianity. But there's another half as well. And that is the fear that we have to offend people who are politically correct on the other extreme. And so we don't want to say anything that makes the world too offended. We want to be careful. On the one hand, ooh, if I say this, Christians are going to be offended. But on the other hand, if I say this, the world's going to freak out. And I don't want to do that either. And so I water my message down. I water the gospel down. I make it so that it just doesn't ruffle anyone's feathers or rock anyone's boat. And so there are certain things, like for instance, you just don't talk about hell. Because, well, that's going to offend people. It's one of those things that you might believe it, but keep it to yourself. It's not very seeker-friendly. It's not very, you know, um, palatable. And so what we need to do is kind of water that idea down a bit. And so, you know, we do that. We're careful what we say. I, I, I'm appalled sometimes, and I'm just thankful that Larry King doesn't invite me to come on Larry King Live. And, you know, if I, if I ever get on Larry King Live, it'll probably be because I did something really bad. But... You look at pastors, people who know the truth, who love God, and they'll go on there sometimes, and Larry now knows how to set them up. And he asks a question that he knows it's going to force you to either compromise or look like a nut. 
And so, sad to say, he has those questions in the back of his pocket, and you see a Christian go on Larry King, and, and Larry will ask him about, do you believe, what do you think happens to people who don't accept Jesus Christ? People who say a really godly, nice Buddhist, and really friendly, and loving, and caring, and doing all kinds of social work, but, but they don't actually call themselves a Christian. He goes, what happens to that person when they die? Oh, man, the pressure is on. It's, it's difficult. And now there's a standard answer that most all pastors on Larry King Live say. And they say, well, you know, Larry, it's not for me to judge what happens to people when they die. I believe that they'll go into the hands of a loving God, and God will do whatever he sees fit with them, but I trust him to love them. And there's a wideness in God's mercy, and there, and. It's, it's not a lie, but it's designed to make people feel like, oh, okay, good. You're harmless. You're innocuous. You're not making me feel bad. I'm glad you don't judge, and therefore, I guess it's okay to believe whatever you want, and I'll still be all right. How thankful I am for people like Franklin Graham, who goes on Larry King, and after the other pastors say, well, I don't judge, and I don't know who's going to heaven and who isn't, and I have no clue. And Franklin Graham goes, well, Larry, I've read the Bible. If the Bible is right, and I believe it is, if you haven't committed your life to Jesus Christ and accepted the sacrifice of the cross for your sins, I believe that you're going to a place called hell. I believe that hell lasts forever, and it's a place of torment. Oh, people laugh at that, and they go, oh, you know, yeah, well, his dad doesn't talk like that, but he does, and he'll grow out of it. Why? Because it's much more comfortable to say, let's not talk about that. That's a little, you know, politically incorrect, and so let's just avoid the issue. Now, I don't want to judge people who are on Larry King, because I honestly being on there, you're in the spotlight, it's difficult, and, and I know how that must be. I did hear one pastor who had the courage after going on there of coming out publicly and saying, I blew it. I should have told them, I know how people get saved. And yet, he, under pressure, he didn't do that. But here, the compromise of saying, it's uncomfortable to say the truth, and therefore, I'm going to water the truth down. It's something that religion will always do. And some religions will lean one way and say, let's not offend those religionists. And other religions will go the other way and say, let's just make sure that anything we say just sounds like a pep talk and that nothing gets introduced that could be embarrassing when we bring our non-Christian friends. We need to make sure that it's all just wonderful and sweet. But the truth is, the cross is something different than that. There is no compromise when it comes to the cross, as we will see as we get to that verse. But compromise is that first quality that just goes along with religion. There's no place for it. There's no need for it, as we'll see. Secondly, after he says that, in verse 13, he says, For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. The second point, the H, stands for hypocrisy. It's another thing that goes along with religion because, you see, if you design a religion or if you adhere to a religion and then you claim to be a follower of that religion, you have a problem because I don't care what the rules are, you're going to break them. 
No matter what you define as right and wrong, you will not be a stellar example of that. And so inevitably, as the Pharisees and as these Judaizers, when you're religious, you'll have a tendency to preach something that you can't practice yourself. Hypocrisy, it's what turns so many people off to Christianity. It turns God off to our version of Christianity as well. Because the cross means that we don't have to be hypocritical. And yet with these people, they did the same thing that the children of Israel did right from when the law was given. They read all those rules and they said of one accord, all that the Lord has said, we will do. God gave all these commands and they said, no problem. There's a problem. Because I don't care what your rules are, you can't follow them yourself. And hypocrisy is what happens when you internalize who you really are, when you begin to hide what you're really like, because what you're really like may offend someone. And in that compromise, the hypocrisy comes forth from it where you're preaching something that doesn't even work for you. And that's what he was saying. Hey, they adhere to Judaism, but they're not following the laws of Judaism at all. They aren't, it it doesn't work for them. Jesus confronted the Pharisees one time and said, you guys are such hypocrites. You're like whited sepulchers. You're like gravestones, all polished nicely on the outside and inside a bunch of rotting and dry bones. You're hypocrites. He said, you lay a burden on people that you yourself aren't even willing to bear. And inevitably, that's what flows forth from from the kind of compromise that religion introduces is that ultimately we live hypocritical lives where we can't even live up to the standards that we judge other people according to. And so it's easy to point fingers at other people because it keeps us from looking at our own problems and looking at our own selves. We see this all the time in public life. In fact, I would say to you that when you see a public person who's really blasting someone else for what they're doing, for their sin, just wait. Because eventually that person, you're going to find out the one who's screaming the loudest about how bad someone else is, they most likely have the same problem. We've seen it happen back years ago with evangelists who, are, who were falling, and one evangelist got himself into trouble, and another evangelist stood up and made the point that this guy's a cancer on the body of Christ, and then he himself got caught for doing the same things or worse things. There's, you know, fairly recently there was a there was a radio personality figure who was very outspoken against drug use. And then turns out he had a drug problem himself. And so he was talking about those evil liberals and their drug problems. And he's very conservative. And turns out he had his drug problem. So then on the, the liberal side, there was one comedian in particular who was just very outspoken about what a phony this conservative talk show host was because of his drug problem. And now that guy is in rehab himself trying to deal with his drug problems. And now the conservatives are loving to point the fingers at him to say, remember, he was accusing him and he was accusing... And it's like, welcome to religion. That's what it comes down to. Jesus Christ introduced a whole different deal. He said, why don't you judge people the way you'd like to be judged? Why don't you start facing who you really are? Why don't you understand what the truth is and quit being a phony? Stop being a hypocrite? Because hypocrisy is something that we're all tempted to do. 
But in religion, it's just a killer because we destroy everything that we say we believe when we don't live what we say we believe. It comes back, judgmentalism comes back to haunt you. It's scary. And that's the H of the CHP of religion. After compromise comes hypocrisy. And then finally, continuing in verse 13, he says, not only do they you know, not keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. These Judaizers didn't want the Christians to become more Jewish to help the Christians. It was all about them, ultimately, and religion does that. You can start out with thinking religion is all about God, but be careful because religion can tend to, because of compromise and hypocrisy, ultimately, it just starts being about us. It starts being about the people who are in it. How do we look? How good do we look? How righteous are we? And, and so we love to promote and we love to push and, and pull and tug and make it work. And when more people show up to church, oh, praise me. This is great. We're so happy. You know, it makes me feel better to see the seats full. Why? Because it says that I'm using good judgment. But if there's less people here, uh-oh, what happened? What's going on? Never mind the fact that people who aren't here, maybe they're just at another church. Never mind the fact that people who are new might have just come from another church. No concern for the fact that, hey, the idea is to get people into the kingdom of God, to see people saved because they need it. But instead, it starts becoming about us. And for these Jewish leaders, they were interested in getting notches in their belt. Religion, ultimately, it starts going out and it ends up turning in. And it's only about me I become a consumer of religion. It's all about what ministers to me. It's all about what feeds me. It's all about what I happen to like or to prefer. It, faith becomes more of a, of a buffet or a potluck where you go down the list and go down the line and you pick a little of this and a little of that. And through compromise and in hypocrisy, the religion all of a sudden becomes man-centered, not God-centered at all. And so we have these three characteristics that if you write them down, if you remember them, if you just remember CHP, you, you remember, okay, there's compromise, there's hypocrisy, and there's pride. And these are the way that Paul would really define the religion that is not what we follow. But when we see in our faith we see compromise happening. We see that, you know, we're being phonies. And, and then ultimately that it's about us. There should be a big warning horn that goes off. Something's wrong here. Now, he puts this aside and says, this is churchianity. This is religion. This is any religion. But now he turns the, the spotlight on something that supersedes and contradicts all of that as he says, but, verse 14, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. He goes, you look at that, you see that alternative, but there's another alternative, and it's the cross. It's understanding what Jesus dying for you, for me, actually means. And the cross is something that will destroy religion. The cross is something that will crash into and devastate and contradict everything that was ever involved in the compromise and in the hypocrisy and in the pride of man-made religion. Because the cross doesn't allow for compromise. The cross cuts to the chase. It all goes there, everything. At the cross of Jesus, history was divided. At the cross of Jesus, people are divided as well. You know, the the Latin word for cross is the word crux, C-R-U-X, and we use that word to quite often when we say, well, what the crux of the matter is. Well, when you say the crux of the matter, you're saying this reason, this argument that I'm about to use is to my presentation what the cross is to Christianity. It all meets there. That's the dividing line the cross is. At the crux of the matter, cutting to the bare bones of what really is the truth, stands the cross of Jesus Christ. People are offended by the cross. Paul said they would be. Over in 1 Corinthians, if you read chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians, Paul makes this point that the cross is a, is a stumbling block and an offense. It's a joke to people who don't believe in it. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God and it's the wisdom of God. Paul told the Corinthians, when I came to you guys, I didn't give you a great motivational speech. When I came to you, I didn't impress you with all of my philosophy and psychology. When I came to you, it wasn't polished and professional. Not that he couldn't do that. He was a brilliant man. But he said, I was determined among you that I would preach Christ and him crucified. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul said. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so now he says, all that other stuff... Push it aside, because the cross doesn't allow for compromise. It either does what it says it does, or it's completely worthless. Hey, you can water it down and say, well, I don't know, you know, God may choose to save everyone. I, you know, then why did Jesus die? If you can get saved apart from Jesus, even though the Bible says there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, if there's another way, why did God send his son to die? It wouldn't make sense. It doesn't allow for compromise. It's simple. It's true. It happened. It's ugly. Maybe you watched the movie The Passion of the Christ and it was just really sickening to you and offensive. Sorry. That's how bad your sin was. It had to be taken care of, and Jesus Christ did it on the cross. And that's the truth. And that's something that we need to hang on to and believe. Now, again, there's a balance. Remember I said there's a balance between those religionists who are so, you know, hardcore trying to force you to be like them, and then those on the other hand that water it down, they're all wishy-washy and who knows. Here's the deal. 
No one gets saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ. We know that the Bible says that. The, the people who are over here on the wishy-washy side, they don't want to admit that. But the problem with the people on the other side sometimes, they, they say the truth. Yep, you only get saved through Jesus Christ, but they add a little something to it. Not just that you're going to hell unless you accept Jesus, but they're glad you're going to hell. They're happy about it. They're like, man, I'm so excited that someday you're going to get yours. That's not the cross. The cross is, hey, we're in this together. We all need it. We all meet at the foot of the cross. That's where we become equal. That's where we're all the same. We all need that. Now, the cross kind of wipes out hypocrisy too. Not only does it remove that, you know, all of that, you know, imbalance and all of that religious compromise, but it also reminds us of who we are. When I look at the cross, it reminds me of why it needed to happen. And so for me to be hypocritical and act like I don't need the cross, but you do, I'm always saying Jesus died for you, and I can't say he died for me. That hypocrisy that acts like you got it covered, you're handling it on your own, man, the cross is a constant reminder that that's what it took that that's what it costs because you're a mess, because you have fouled your life up, and because I have too. The cross reminds us of that, and it should remove any last vestige of hypocrisy. Because of the cross, I don't need to be a hypocrite. Why are people hypocritical? Why do they say one thing and do another? It's because we're unable to be who we really think we ought to be, and as a result, we submerge within us those traits that really are us. And we act like they're not there and we pretend. Why do people hide their own sin? Why do people try to cover them up? You cover your sin because you don't believe that God covered it. We were reading in Proverbs this last Wednesday about, and by the way, we're having a great time on Wednesday nights. You should be there. But we're reading about love covering sin. And love can only cover sin if you understand that love did cover sin, and it was on the cross of Calvary. I can look at you and see your sin covered because of what Jesus did for you. But if you decide to be religious instead, and you decide to do it on your own, you will start to cover your sin. You can't be honest with people about who you are. You already, you're afraid that ultimately it's going to cost you if you tell them the truth, and ultimately you forget who you are apart from God. But see, the cross makes hypocrisy completely unnecessary because whatever you see in me, however I fail and you discover it, hey, guess what? Not only do I know that you're in the same boat, but that sin that drives you crazy about me, God has already forgiven me. So, you know, I can say something about the Simpsons and for you, that, that may sound like just a horrible sin. But you know what? If it is, guess what? The cross says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And so whatever it is I say that rubs you the wrong way, you know, I mean, again, as God works in our lives, he conforms us to the image of Jesus Christ, and, and we see those changes. But in the meantime, as he may, might be working on a different area of my life than the one that happens to bug you, I don't have to fake it for you. 
I don't have to get up here and pretend like I'm something that I'm not. I don't come up and, you know, I've had people say that, you know, I love the way you kind of deliberately put yourself down, you know, the self-deprecating. That's not self-deprecating. It's just me. I mean, I could make it worse if you want. But I don't see it as some, to get up here and say I'm a sinner, I don't see that as some kind of gimmick that really warms up a crowd. It's just who I am. But I stand here a sinner because of the cross of Jesus Christ. I can go, I don't have to pretend to be anything but a sinner. I don't have to fake it. I don't have to play games with you. If you don't like it, take it up with the one who hung on the cross for me. The one who is there next to his father going every time somebody accuses him. And every time somebody sends a a bad email to me and CCs it to God, Jesus goes, yeah, Father, they got a point. Dave did do that. But remember the cross? I took that sin on me. It was nailed to the cross. Case closed. It's done. It's over. And if you understand how forgiven you are, you won't need to be a hypocrite anymore. You'll understand the blood of Jesus Christ takes care of all sin. And it frees us to be who we are. It frees us to accept who we are, to stop judging each other, and to say, I am a work in progress, but God is the one who is working on me. And it started at the cross when he paid the penalty for my sin. And now I'm sick of being a phony. I'm sick of pretending I don't want to do that anymore because of the cross. Check out the cross. Look at it. See that Jesus took your sins on himself on the cross. And then thirdly, pride. Hey, you come to the foot of the cross. Pride is over with. Bragging about, boasting in what you have done when the cross is there. And that's why Paul said, if I'm going to brag, I'll brag the cross. All bragged that when Jesus died on the cross, I died. Remember earlier in Galatians when he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And when I look at the cross, it doesn't puff me up. When I look at the cross, it reminds me of where I was apart from God. But it also reminds me of where I am because of God. Like those two great scripture verses that Pastor Chuck once told me, his life verse is actually two verses. One of them is there in Philippians 4 when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The other is over in the Gospel of John when Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. Now, if we can hang on to both of those truths, the cross is what points us to it. When I look at the cross, I realize without him, I'm just a pile of sin. But the cross reminds me, because of him, if I stick with him, I can do anything. It's not an unhealthy lack of self-esteem, but it's not a self-centered, prideful thing that brags about who I am. The cross, if I do as Jesus said, and if anybody, he said, wants to come after me, deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. That cross that I'm taking with me is a constant reminder that I needed the cross. But that cross that I carry daily with me is also a constant reminder that I don't need anything but the cross. That cross reminds me of amazingly how worthless I was and yet how worthwhile I am to him. 
because he went to the cross knowing everything and he decided I was worth it. He decided that it was worth it to die for me for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Hey, he knew what it would take to fix me, and it was the cross. And he went to the cross. And that is just an incredible blessing to me. doesn't make me prideful. It's not about me. I'm bragging about him. I'm not, you know, acting like I did something. I haven't. I can't. And so here, as Paul lays this out for the people, and then ultimately, as he says, you know, hey, the world's been crucified, and I to the world, all those things that I used to try to impress, all those people that I tried to bowl over, they mean nothing to me now. It's behind me. I'm over religion, because in Christ Jesus, circumcision, uncircumcision, it doesn't matter, but a new creation. He goes, what I need to discover is that I'm new. He gave me a fresh start. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And basically what Paul is saying as he wraps up this book, and we will finish it next Sunday. There isn't time today to do it. But what Paul is saying is there are two ways you can live. On the one hand, oh, you can do man-made religion all you want with all of the phoniness and compromise that you want. Water it down, make it palatable to whoever it is you're trying to impress. One side or the other, it doesn't matter. Just fit in and blend in. And that's religion. But he says also along the road, you're going to be a big phony and a hypocrite if that's what you do. And you're going to have pride in something that isn't something to be proud of. So you can go that route. Or he says, you can opt for the cross. You can opt for the fact, you can bet on, you can, you can declare that by faith, you're going, it's true. On the cross, all of my sin was placed there. On the cross, it accomplished everything. I realize there's something about what Jesus did for me on the cross that makes all of the pain and suffering, all the garbage that's in my life, all of my failure and shortcomings, it doesn't even matter anymore. All the decisions that I've made, one way or the other, doesn't matter. It's the cross. And it's seeing the truth of the cross and what it means that frees me to live a life that actually works. Religious life doesn't work. Compromise will always cause you to end up being laughed at by everyone, rejected by everyone. Hypocrisy, you'll get busted. You'll be found out. Pride that comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But the cross, that's that narrow way that leads to an abundant eternal life. And through understanding the significance of Jesus dying for you, now what can happen in your life as you're freed from all that religious burden, now the Spirit of God can work in your life and actually fix what's wrong with you. He can fill you and control you. He can mold and shape you. He can change you into his likeness because you needed to learn the lesson that you can't do it. That's the lesson of the law. But the message of grace is that he can do it and he wants to do it. And your efforts stand in the way of that as much as anything else. He goes, let me do this for you. I wouldn't want to opt for religion 
when I have the opportunity of a relationship that is based on, that's grounded in, that's, that's certified by, and that's guaranteed forever because of the cross. I'll take the cross myself. I will understand that it is all Him. I'll believe that grace is real, that forgiveness is true, that He took all my junk on Him, took care of it, and He can love me and wants to know me and wants to walk with me and wants to fill me from within and change me from within. I'm banking my future on the fact that the cross is true and that religion is a waste of time. And that's the wise choice, and that's what the book of Galatians is presenting for all of us. To never allow, having begun in the Spirit, will you be made perfect in the flesh? Do you accept Jesus at the cross, and then now it's up to you to make it work? No. It's all there. Having begun in the Spirit, stay in the Spirit. Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, he wrote a lot of great hymns. You've, sing, you've sung many of them. At Christmas, you sing, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come, and he wrote that. He wrote a song called, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. When I look at the cross and measure it out and see what it means. That song was so incredible that Charles Wesley, himself the writer of over 6,000 hymns, Charles and his brother John, who started, founded the Methodist movement, used to be a Christian movement, and, uh, just kidding, but, uh, but Charles Wesley said, if I could have written when I survey the wondrous cross, then I would give up writing all those over 6,000 songs that I've written. It's that good. And it's a, it's a beautiful description of exactly what Paul is talking about, and one of the verses of the song comes from this passage of Scripture in Galatians chapter 6. The song says, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. And then he says in the second verse, forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charmed me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? And he says, even if the whole realm of nature was mine, that would be a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I can't boast in anything that I do or have done. But I'll boast in the death of Christ, my God. And as a result, everything that I think is mine, I'll, I'll sacrifice them all. And it's way too small of a present to pay back someone who stepped into history to fix what was wrong with me and to fix what was wrong with everyone I know. And all that other stuff, it's just so empty. It's so meaningless to live a phony religious life when I can live a life of genuine fellowship with the God who made me, it's because of the cross. And if I keep looking at that cross and I keep considering what it means to me, it reminds me of who I am, positive and negative. And it reminds me of who Jesus is and how much he loved me, why he would give his life for me. And I'll take that, the simple good news of the cross, 
over all the other stuff. The other stuff is, is meaningless, hopeless, leaves us empty. Oh, the cross. This was such a big deal to Paul that not only had he said earlier, I preach Christ and him crucified, but now in these big kindergarten letters, as he's painfully writing this out the best he can, he goes, you guys, this is it. This is what I'm trying to tell you. This is what I mean. It's the cross. That's it. Let's pray. God, we're so sorry when... We settle for cheesy substitutes. When through our own attempts at being good, we find ourselves compromising to be comfortable. We find ourselves living hypocritical lives of judgment and guilt. And we ultimately get puffed up and think it's about us. And our religions are way more about us than it is about you. Lord, I thank you that over all of that falls the shadow of the cross and the reminder that there is no compromise, that there's no reason for hypocrisy, and that the cross is the best thing that we could glory in, that we could boast about, because that's what our God did for us. Lord, help us to clean our lives up and to live in the simplicity of the gospel. Help us to remove the complications that man includes in the package and help us to simply walk with you, to be led by and filled with your Holy Spirit, to live in a relationship with you that's all about you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.